0: Why are we here on Easter Sunday? Well, you may have noticed it's also April Fool's Day. Are we here because we're fools? Many people would say that we're fools to be doing what we are doing in this building on this day. Are we here just because we feel some kind of obligation? We'd better come because we always do. Well, maybe for some of us there's a little bit of that, but honestly, I don't think that's the explanation. If we are Christians, aren't we here because we have found something that is more precious than anything else? For all of the weakness of our faith sometimes, for all of the coldness that's in our hearts some days, Aren't we here because the things we talk about here, the things that we sing about here, mean more to us than anything else in this world? Aren't we here because we are like the people Jesus spoke about when he said this? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man find it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Maybe you and I don't always look and act like people who have found priceless treasure. But don't we keep coming back because we know the things we focus on here are priceless. A friend of mine used to have a poster over his desk. It was a picture of a Rolls Royce. And underneath it said, my tastes are simple. I like to have the best. And as Christians... Aren't we here because we want the very best there is? And we find something much better than a fancy car. We have found that nothing in this world compares to knowing and loving God. We want to have life to the full by trusting him and living for him. And in this time that we have this evening, we're going to hear from an ancient poet who knows just how we feel. He would have loved to share an Easter Sunday with us. Turn with me to Psalm 16. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 549. And in the large print, 850. 850. Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is God's word. The ancient poet here is King David. And in this psalm, he describes life to the full. It's a life where God is our treasure now and will be our joy forever. First of all, in verses 1 to 8, living life to the full means having God as our treasure now. It's obvious from the beginning of this psalm, David is in some kind of trouble. Who knows exactly what it was? But in his trouble, there's only one option as far as David is concerned. In verse 1, he says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Where else would he turn? What other refuge does he have? Everything else in this world is unstable and insecure, and David knows that very well. He knows that God is the only reliable refuge any of us have. And in fact, David says in verse 2, Apart from you, Lord, I have no good thing literally you are my lord my good thing nothing apart from you so david is not denying that god gives us good things of course he does but here david is saying you lord are my good thing it's you you're the treasure that outshines any other treasure and isn't that why we are here Because in spite of our wandering hearts and our easily distracted minds, we know that God himself outshines everything else. We keep coming back to hear from his word and to sing his praises because nothing else can satisfy. And all of us, I think, have done our own fair share of looking in other places. But haven't we found that every other treasure turns to dust in our hands? Every other promise of satisfaction fails to deliver. David knows that too. Look down to verse 4. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Libations of blood means drinking the blood of sacrifices. It's part of idol worship. And throughout Israel's history, they fell down again and again because they conformed to the culture around them. We've seen that, haven't we, in First and Second Kings? In that case it meant worshiping the gods of the culture around them, like Baal or Ashtoreth. Those gods were so attractive because you could see them and you could touch them you could pick them up and move them from one side of the room to the other if you wanted but the main attraction was those gods could supposedly be manipulated do the right ritual and you'd get the right outcome that was the idea so if you want a good harvest go and have sex with the shrine prostitute And the gods will give you a good crop in response. It seems like a great arrangement. Gods that work like a genie in a bottle. The problem is those kind of gods don't really exist. In the end, they can't deliver anything at all. So David says in verse 4, Those who run after gods like that will suffer more and more because they're putting their hopes in thin air and so their hopes will be dashed time after time just like our hopes are dashed when we worship false gods when we put our hope in our good looks there's only one way that can end for us for some of us it never gets started But if you have good looks, there's only one way for it to go. Joan Collins said, The problem with beauty is that it's like being born rich and getting poorer. When we look for fulfillment in our appearance, we are doomed to disappointment. When we put our hope in other people's approval, we are signing up for inevitable disappointment. We can never be interesting enough or successful enough or funny enough to keep people interested and keep people applauding. If we look to leisure or holidays to fulfill us, there's always going to be some responsibility that comes along and interferes with our free time. Even our dream holiday can never quite live up to our expectations. How could it? Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. And so having done his own fair share of running after things that can't satisfy, David turns from all that and he says in verse 5, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup you make my lot secure the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places surely i have a delightful inheritance this thing about boundary lines and inheritance is referring back to something that's described for us in the book of joshua in the old testament when the israelites conquered the land of canaan the land was then divided up among the israelites it was done very carefully by tribes, and within tribes by clans, and within clans by families. They were each assigned their portion of the land. And Joshua gives great detail about all these boundary lines, where they were drawn. And here David is picking up on that language. But when he says, I have a delightful inheritance, he's not talking about a plot of land, he's talking about God. God is his portion, his lot. And that is more pleasant and more delightful than the choicest acreage in all of Israel or the Lake District or anywhere else. In verse 5, David also says God is his cup. A writer called Bruce Milne explains the significance of that. He says... In a dry, desert, studded land where the traveler, even to this day, is constantly threatened with dehydration. The cup symbolized the refreshing, renewing gift of life. In his relationship with God, David discovers that true refreshment and satisfaction of his life. And isn't that the reason you and I are here today? Because nothing else can satisfy us. All of us have drunk from our fair share of other cups. And they have left us more thirsty than before. Money we've earned, things we've bought, none of it has ever satisfied our thirst. it's a good idea sometimes to just stop and remind ourselves of that truth why would we even think of going back to things that never kept their promises to us in the past and even more important than remembering those other cups is to spend time focusing on the genuine treasure we do have in god himself that's what david does in verse seven i will praise the lord who counsels me even at night my heart instructs me i keep my eyes always on the lord with him at my right hand i shall not be shaken david takes care to keep his eyes on the lord it's the only way to live with contentment it's the only way to avoid feeling sorry for ourselves and starting to believe that we're missing out. If we don't keep our eyes on the real treasure, it won't be long before some lesser treasure starts to seem appealing to us. So that's why we go on and on about taking the time to read our Bibles. It's not so much that we come to our Bibles as a daily instruction manual. That's not really what we're doing we come to the bible because the bible is god's revelation of himself we don't go to the bible primarily for 10 tips on child rearing or three keys to a happy marriage we go to the bible to see the lord don't we He is the one that's displayed to us on the pages of the Bible. His character and his worth. It's the Bible that reveals our God to be the greatest treasure there is. If we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord, we need regular time alone with him and his written word. And... We need the companionship of God's people. Look back to verse 3. We skipped over that earlier. David says, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. David is talking about God's people. Men and women who have also made God their greatest treasure. You and I need to be around people like that. David knew he needed to be around people like that people who have the same priorities i quoted from bruce milne earlier he says about this verse for the bible loving god is never separable from loving god's people to know him personally is to find oneself set within a great family of brothers and sisters glorying in god will make us forever the heart companions of those who share that single-minded goal. What he's saying is, we can never be true heart companions of those who are living for some other treasure. We can be friends with them, but our heart companions Are those who love God as their portion and their inheritance. When we think about marriage, this is the first issue on our list. When God is our treasure, the idea of marrying outside of God's people is not even an option, it's not an option we would even consider. And when we think about our weekly schedule, the things we do with our time, when God is our treasure, being with his people will be our priority. Simply because we love the same thing. We're very different in other ways, but we love the same person. Nobody else understands us like those whose eyes are also on the Lord. Living life to the full means having God as our treasure now. But David knew life to the full means much, much more than that. And on Easter Sunday of all days, we know that too. In verses 9 to 11, David says life to the full means having God as our joy forever. Look again at verse 9 therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay now if we stopped reading there we might wonder is david talking about avoiding death Is he talking about escaping this immediate trouble that he's in, whatever it is? Well, we might think that, but verse 11 shows that really David means much, much more than that. Verse 11, he says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. One writer says, the path of life that David's on is the way to live to the full now, yes. But it's a path that doesn't end at physical death. It's a path that leads without a break into God's presence and into eternity. And David has remarkable insight into that. It's remarkable because the hope of eternal life is not very developed in the Old Testament. It's there for sure. But it's not until the New Testament that it takes concrete shape. And that is where Easter comes in. Because this psalm has a very particular connection to Easter. Kevin read earlier from the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, as peter is explaining the resurrection he quotes from psalm 16 and he says yes this psalm was written by king david about his own experience but peter says ultimately the words of this psalm belong to jesus david could write these words and they fit his situation but peter says they fit jesus best of all They are most true of Jesus. God the Son could say more truly than anybody else, apart from you, Father, I have no good thing. Jesus could say more than anybody else, you alone, Father, are my portion. You are my treasure. Why did Jesus die on the cross? It was for our sin. Yes, it was. But even more than that, Jesus went to the cross because it was his Father's will. Remember what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Take this cup from me, Father. Let me avoid this agony that's ahead of me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it was love for his Father above anything else that caused Jesus to go on. So yes, Jesus loves us. He loves us more than we'll ever be able to understand. But we can still say Jesus' greatest treasure is his Father. And for that treasure, Jesus endured the cross. The words of Psalm 16 fit Jesus better than anyone else. And that includes the final verses. The verses that look forward to eternity with the Father. Those also fit Jesus better than anyone else. That is Peter's point in Acts chapter 2. When he preaches after the first Easter, Peter says, Jesus was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. Jesus' body Did not see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Peter says. He's now exalted to the right hand of God. Christ is risen indeed. The hope of Psalm 16 comes true in Jesus. And that is where our confidence for the future comes from. Jesus has walked this path ahead of us. He blazed the trail and now the pathway is open for us too. For you and me today, living after the cross and the resurrection, to have God as our treasure means having Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Those who truly love God love and follow His Son Jesus. We run to him as our only refuge. And we do that because that is the Father's will. Several years before the cross happened, God announced at Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We know the only way to the Father is through the Son. And so we put all of our hope in him. And in him, we find a sure hope. We heard that this morning. The hope of Psalm 16 becomes our hope. Because our Savior was not abandoned to the grave, we won't be abandoned to the grave either. For us, the path of life also will lead without a break into God's presence and into eternity. And when that happens, the God who is our treasure today will be our joy forever. Look again how Psalm 16 ends. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Joy in your presence is literally joy in your face. God himself will be our joy. The final chapter of the Bible confirms that. Revelation chapter 22 describes the future of God and His people. And as the climax of that description, it tells us they will see His face. You and I will see His face. One writer says, that surely is heaven's highest delight and final exhilaration to be face to face with God, to look into that face of unfathomable love, to look into his face and to know that the pleasure will never, ever end. There's an old hymn that says only faintly now I see him with a darkened veil between but a better day is coming when his glory shall be seen. That is the gift God gave us on the first Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us sure and certain hope of eternal pleasures at God's right hand. Isn't that why we're here this evening? Isn't that why we keep coming back? Because in the risen Jesus, we have life to the full, both now and forevermore. We're going to celebrate that truth as we sing, There is a hope so sure.